0: Happy Holidays to all of our Shadows listeners. Now, as always, we appreciate all the support that you've given us throughout the year 2022. But before we jump into this episode, I have some quick announcements to make. First, now we are competing against some amazing podcasts. Just to let you know who we're competing against, Beyond the Rut, The Purpose Pod, Hero Front, Filter It Through a Brain Cell, The Decision Hour, EQ Gangster, The Purpose Infused Brotherhood Podcast, Drive On Podcast, The Power of Investing in People and Wartime Leadership Podcast. These are all incredible people and we all came together and we basically put up some money. We are competing against one another. Now, here's how this works. It is the podcast that by the end of this week, Friday, December 23rd at noon Eastern time. The podcast with the most five-star reviews for the week wins that pot of money. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm turning around and buying gifts for Teresa and Becton. No, what that means is the one who wins is going to donate 100% of that to the nonprofit organization of their choosing. Now, me, I have uh, decided that I'm going to be donating mine to Gato Pups and Friends. So definitely go over to gatopupsandfriends.com. Also follow them on Instagram. Uh, make sure you're, you're helping them out. They do some incredible stuff with senior disabled homeless animals. Trying to find them a home as well. I'm a huge dog lover. I love animals in general, especially dogs. But go out there and support them. I mean, this is a great cause. It's great what they're doing. They do some amazing stuff. I love following them on Instagram. So definitely go check them out. And help us win. So all you have to do is just, it takes a couple of minutes. Just go over to theshadowspodcast.com. Click on leave a review. We make it simple for you. And then all you have to do is leave us a five-star review, but tell us what is your favorite episode and why? What did that episode mean to you? What stood out? One more time, five-star review, the most at the end of this week wins the money. Now, when are we going to announce it? That will take place on our year interview episode, Christmas Day. So we're going to actually get the winner on the episode. We're going to click the button, make the donation right then and there. So this is incredible stuff we're doing. No one's a loser in this. I told several of these podcasts when we were putting this together, I said, look, you can kick my ass at this and I am perfectly fine with it because this money is going to go to a good cause. Now, if you want to help out, all you have to do is head over to the shadows podcast and click on our shop merch. And if you buy anything, 100% of that money up until this Friday, December 23rd will also be, it will actually be donated to Gato pups and friends. Or if you just want to make a donation, you can do it on the website or you can DM me on Instagram and we can definitely uh, work something out there, but definitely try to help them out. Like I said, all this money is going to go directly to them. Now, this week, from paralyzed fitness trainer, author, GBS survivor, Holly Francis, she's here to join us on The Shadows. She delivered a healthy baby, beautiful baby girl, on January 26, 2011, and then just 20 days later, she was paralyzed from the neck down. Listen to Holly talk to me about these tumultuous 126 days in the hospital, how did she find the strength to turn the corner as she tells us all the incredible stuff she's doing now? It's an emotional episode. and We encourage you to head over to hollyaftergbs.com. It's also in the description and watch her video documenting her fight through this rare illness. Please enjoy the Shadows Podcast from Paralyze the Fitness Trainer, Holly Francis. Where are you located?
1: I am in Edmonton, Canada.
0: Oh, okay. Alberta.
1: Yes, Alberta. Yeah. Alberta.
0: Home of the Oilers. Okay. Yeah. I think you're my third Canadian
1: guest I've had. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah.
0: All right. So Edmonton. And so, yeah, uh, rare illness advocate survivor. You're an author. Spent 126 days in the hospital crazy yes, story i did
1: yeah it's wild to think what i've gone through and especially where i am now uh, yeah. but yeah it happened and, and changed my life for the better though
0: yeah yeah i definitely want to talk to you about that uh and just man i, I do want to ask you some random questions sure some, some fun random questions to get this started your go-to holiday movie
1: uh home alone for sure home alone one or two. First one okay classic
0: yeah. exactly i my daughter and i can quote both of those like verbatim uh you got a ticket for two you can go anywhere in the world with those tickets one is a returning place you've been another is somewhere you've never been before where do you go
1: uh i would go to jamaica actually i loved it there okay i've uh, been there before and um, that place i've never been would be australia for sure
0: top of my list too yeah we're at in australia
1: uh, anywhere. I am yeah. fine with wherever, just to be there. <laughs> <laughs> just to be there yeah. yeah. If I find, uh, their, uh, their people and their culture is very similar to Canada. So, yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, biggest fear you have
1: biggest fear. Oh, dying without reaching all my goals.
0: Okay. I think you've probably answered something I was going <laughs> to ask you a little bit later. Um, well, <laughs> the next question was going to be, uh more than anything before you die you want to be blank and i think yours would be reaching all your goals absolutely Um, so you have dinner for three with three historical figures no longer with us who would you Uh, die no longer with
1: us um let's say tupac that's a good one princess diana and maybe kurt cobain
0: it's about as diverse a group as you can get. Yeah, be.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nick, give me one thing they have in common and you win.
1: Oh, um, I, I mean, I would just say that they're all um, inspirational in their own way.
0: That's true. Okay. All right. So um, what was childhood like for you growing up?
1: Uh, I had a wonderful childhood. Uh, nothing like some of the guests that you've had in the past, but uh, <laughs> I was born and raised here um, in the Edmonton area um, in another small town, not too far away. Uh, my parents divorced when I was about three years old, but they were very close and I had two uh, older brothers and uh, we just, we had a really happy childhood. They yeah. wanted to make sure that we knew that Uh, They loved us and that being separated wasn't going to change anything. And so they made sure that we stayed very connected. Uh, We went to my dad's every second weekend. And then we went back to my mom's during the week. And we traveled a lot together. We had Christmas holidays together. And uh, yeah, I just had a really, really supportive family that I always kind of knew that whatever I wanted to go after in life, I would always have their support yeah, which I think but, has really made me who I am today.
0: And that's good to hear that too, because a lot of times those stories go complete opposite. And it's it was brutal with one parent or the other. But yeah, hearing that, that's, that's super good to hear. Uh, what were some of your aspirations as a kid?
1: Uh, my aspirations, they weren't so much career oriented. I knew I wanted to be a mother. So when I was like three years old, I'm playing with Barbies and dolls and I'm picking them up. And I just knew deep in my heart that I was destined to be a mother. So my yeah. goals really were to like, you know what? I'm going to grow up. I'm going to find me a man and I'm going to get married and we're going <laughs> to have babies and we're just going to live happily ever after. And it was just really the family life. And maybe it's because I grew up with divorced parents that I wanted to mm. recreate what I felt that they had failed at. And so I just really wanted to just have a family and be a mom. And I'll be honest, it was a daughter that I wanted, and uh, I did. And that's what I got. Yeah. Um, but it was just that that motherly, daughterly bond that I really craved for one day, it's probably because I grew up with with brothers.
0: Yeah, it's, I'm I'm curious to ask you this because a lot of times we have like those turning points in life where something happens, such as what happened to you when uh, I believe you were 26 years old, but up until then, like for me, it's like, you really didn't start. I didn't start living life with purpose until I was probably in my late twenties, early thirties. If looking back for those first 25 years, what do you think it was? that really defined you up until uh, you were diagnosed with GBS. To
1: be honest, I don't, think that there was anything like you I really did struggle with purpose um, my mom was a inspirational speaker she was mm-hmm. very outgoing she was very just charismatic and i was kind of the shy quiet one and i didn't really know what my purpose was in life and Um, I went back to school to get into human resources, but it was never like a huge passion of mine. Uh, So I was, I, to be honest, I was kind of lost in my twenties. It was just like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know uh, what life is going to be like. I don't know what my purpose is. Um, And I do find that after going through what I did completely changed my life and and gave me that purpose.
0: And you and your husband found out y'all were going to have a child. And where did you meet
1: your husband at? Uh, So this is my then husband. We're actually divorced now. Okay. Uh, So we, I met him uh, through just through friends and we met when we were 18 and uh, we got married not for quite a while. We got married when we were about 25.
2: Wow. So just,
1: yeah. So just shortly um, before I um, uh, went through my experience with GBS and uh, got pregnant about a year and a half after we got married and everything was going exactly like I had planned it as a child, right? I've got the husband, i got the family and it just, life was just so perfect. Um, And then it just kind of all came crashing down when I was 26.
0: Yeah. And just for the listeners, you know, who are tuning in this episode or unfamiliar with it, uh, do you mind educating them on what GBS is?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So GBS is a it's a rare autoimmune disorder. It's very similar um, to multiple sclerosis. And the way it's different is that um, with MS, it, it basically is an autoimmune uh, disorder attacking the brain. Uh, whereas with GBS, it's attacking the peripheral nerves, which is all the nerves in your body that are not attached to the spinal cord or uh, your brain. So it's basically every nerve pretty in much your damages entire body, the nerves, right? It pretty much damages it. It basically blocks the ability for your brain to send signals to your nerves. Okay. And so what it does is it um, potentially can paralyze you, um, which in my case is what it did.
0: Yeah. And what from the Mayo Clinic doing my research for this one out of 100,000 people uh, suffer from GBS each year. And uh, what when did you see kind of the onset of symptoms of it? Do you remember like I, hindsight I, that first moment?
1: Hindsight, I do. Yeah, it took me about six months after I'd recovered from GBS to realize what that that pinpoint was. Um, but I was at home. And this would have been about three and a half weeks after giving birth to my daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. So we were recovering at home, I had a C-section, uh, baby was completely healthy, and I was doing well. Uh, but we hadn't left the house at all, because it was minus 30, <laughs> where I was from. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were just a lot adjusting to life being a new mom and being parents and getting used to waking up in the middle of the night and breastfeeding and all that. And, and all of a sudden I had this weird tingle in my finger and this was kind of in the middle of the day. And I thought maybe I'd burnt myself because it was kind of numb. Um, and so behind, like you said, hindsight now I I do know that that was because the, the nerve damage was starting right there yeah. in my fingertip. Uh, but I forgot about it was thinking, I don't know what I burned myself with. It's not a big deal. I'm sure it'll be fine in an hour or so. And then a couple hours later, I had this pain in my neck and it came on quite suddenly. I thought maybe I had turned my neck the wrong way. And uh, it was just quite severe. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I, did I pinch a nerve or something and kind of just like, try to ignore it. Uh, so yeah, I I'd take it some Advil and the pain just continued to get worse. And uh, I, I'm wondering, okay, what's wrong with me? I'm I go on Google as you do when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with you. And the first thing I see is you probably have a pinched nerve. So and that's what I had thought. And so I'm like, yeah, you and a lot have got this weird tingling in my finger, actually, now that I remember and this pain in my neck, and I'm having a little bit of trouble walking up the stairs. So I, I assume that that's what it is. Just try to brush it off as the next like 20 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes go by, the pain is getting worse. And I'm trying to ignore it. I got to put my daughter to bed. So I put her to bed in her crib. And um, I'm like, I I need to get a good night's sleep. Just, I'm in so much pain, but I just think I need need a good night's sleep. So I go to bed. I'm laying there trying to sleep not it's not helping the pain medication's not helping i get out of bed and i'm laying on the floor trying to stretch trying to do all these different stretches i'm googling yoga poses and neck stretches and all this stuff and, yeah. and not nothing is helping and i'm like okay well is this a pinched nerve like did i did i break a bone in my neck or break do something to my neck because it's severely painful And the hours go by, and at about three in the morning, my daughter wakes up because she was um, nursing, and so she's crying, and she's three weeks old. And I went to get up, and when I stood up from the floor, my knees completely buckled, and I fell to the ground. Mm. And I was able to stand back up and lock my knees in place and, and, and hold myself up. And, and I'm like, my legs are just so weak. I think I need to go to the hospital. This, this pinched nerve that I have is obviously quite severe that it's affecting my ability to walk. Um, so I had my husband, my then husband at the time, um, me off at the hospital because I didn't want my newborn coming to the ICU or, or sorry, coming to the ER. So I, had him drop me off. And I said, just call me in a couple hours, or I'll call you in a couple hours. And uh, I had no idea that when I walked through that door, that would actually be the last time that I would set foot outside for almost three months.
0: Oh my gosh, you probably just thought it's gonna be routine in and out.
1: I literally thought I would just go in and see a doctor and whatever was wrong, they would give me some medication and then I would be on my way and I'd be home in three or four hours. Wow.
0: And what, what happened when you got in there? Cause I, I've been in a similar situation, not to where I was paralyzed, but I, I went in for something that I thought was, um, I, I was like, wow, my arm is swelling and I'm just going to go. I even told my wife, I was like, my phone's dying, but I'll be home in two hours. And I got admitted for muscle enzyme count. And when I got oh. there, I was shocked and they sent me back and, uh, started pumping fluids into me for a couple of days. But wow. when, when you got there, how did, what exactly happened? You got seen and then. When did they break that they, you were diagnosed with GBS?
1: Yeah. So I got seen uh, immediately by a doctor and he said, yeah, you're, you're quite weak. You've got weakness in your hands as well, which I didn't even realize. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said, I have no idea what's wrong with you, which was very shocking to me to hear a doctor say that because I thought doctors knew everything. And so he said, I'll, I'll be honest. I I don't know what this is, but I'm going to call a neurologist, come down and see you. So just be patient. I mean, I waited in a chair, uh, half asleep. They gave me some pain medication, which took away the pain completely. And when I woke up about three hours later, when the neurologist finally was able to see me, uh, he brought me over to a bed and I was having trouble walking a little bit as well then but the pain was completely gone because of mm-hmm. the morphine that I'd taken. And I felt almost embarrassed that I was there. Cause I, yeah. I was like, you know what? I, I should probably just go home. Like it's just a little bit of weakness in my legs. And he said, I think I know what this is. I think you have something called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And I remember going, I don't even know what that is. I couldn't even pronounce it.
0: I was like, you pronounced it better <laughs> than I was trying
1: to. <laughs> it took me about six months to learn how to pronounce it properly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I said a syndrome like what is that like is that a disease like I had no idea and and I'm in my 20s and I'm, I'm just so naive and I'm thinking okay so now what like you give me some medication and I'm going to go home mm-hmm. and uh he says no GBS it's it's very serious and, and it can be quite severe depending on how your case goes we need to monitor you and we need to admit you to the hospital so I'm thinking well I and like, I'm a mom, I'm a new mom, my mom, my daughter's at home, and I need to uh, breastfeed her and I need to get back to her. And he's like, this is an emergency, and you need to get your family to come here. So that was very scary to hear. Yeah. And he starts, he starts me immediately on the treatment for GBS, which is basically uh, something called IVIG, but it's, it's like a blood transfusion, essentially. And they're basically replacing my blood with donor blood with hopes that the antibodies in their blood will uh, replace the antibodies in my blood and stop attacking the nerves uh unfortunately
0: exchange too right
1: they do so i had that as well shortly after yeah and uh we're, we're hopeful. And they're telling us, you know what, we're just going to monitor you. And we're going to see how you do. And hopefully that your strength is going to start improving, and then you'll be able to get out of here. And so we're, we're thinking that's, that's how it's going to go, and I'm going to be fine. And, but they're also warning us, you know, this could get really bad, and you could end up completely paralyzed, and you could end up in the hospital for a long time. And I'm like, No, that's not going to happen to me. I'm completely healthy. I've never had any health issues my entire life. I think I've only gone to the hospital maybe once or twice for a bad migraine. And that's not going to be me. And I'm going to get out of here soon. And unfortunately, everything just snowballed. And all of a sudden, my legs were completely paralyzed. And then my arms were paralyzed. And I was, everything was tingling. And like that that tiny little tingle I felt in my finger was magnified times a million in every part of my body.
0: That to go into effect, like for you to feel just full paralysis.
1: So the full paralysis, it eventually rose up past my chest um, through my lungs and affected my breathing. And I was rushed to ICU within 72 hours of that first symptom. So do, do you remember very, your mindset at that time? I do. And it's crazy that I, I do like, I was obviously on so many medications, but I remember just being terrified, yeah, just having no idea what the heck was happening. And I remember everything. And I remember them my family showing up at the hospital I remember them putting my daughter beside me and resuming breastfeeding. And then I remember them prying her from my arms and saying, you can't breastfeed, you're on way too many medications, you have to stop. And I remember just crying and being so devastated. And then I remember them rushing me to ICU to be intubated. They, that's when they decided actually to give me plasmapheresis, uh, the plasma Mm -hmm. treatment. And, uh, they didn't know. And I didn't know that I had really tiny veins. And when they were trying to insert the the catheter into Uh, my artery, they actually ruptured it. So uh, I, I almost died and I I had to go to um, emergency surgery and had um, a a blood transfusion Uh, took about six hours. My family was told they're not sure if I would survive. Of course, obviously I did. I woke up in ICU with a breathing tube down my mouth um, in my throat couldn't talk, could no longer move anything. And I felt like my life was truly over. I felt like I was dying. Everybody was around me in ICU, my family members, my my aunts and uncles, my grandpas and my grandma and my uh, friends and everybody's there. And I'm just like, you, you just got to let me go, you guys. It's okay, it's okay. And the doctors are saying, no, you're going to get better. You, you're going to recover from this. You just have to get through this initial phase. But slowly over time, that's what happens with GBS is during the acute phase, that's when it's doing all the attacking. And then once it's done attacking, then gradually the nerves actually repair themselves and slowly you'll regain function and you'll have to learn how to do things again. But this all just seemed so far out there. Like I'm, I'm paralyzed. I can't breathe on my own. I'm struggling for every breath. My family's there. My daughter's there. She's a newborn. And I'm just so hurt and so angry at the world that this is happening to me in my 20s. And it was so hard for me to believe that I was going to get better, even though they kept telling me and the nurses were so amazing and they, they were there fighting for me and my family was fighting for me. But there were so many times that I just truly did not believe that I was ever going to make it out of there.
0: Gosh. And do you, do you recall like look Casey's your daughter's name right yes yeah do you remember seeing Casey and and not being able to because I've seen the video where they've got her kind of sitting there and I encourage anyone listening to this to go watch that video uh, that kind of walks you through everything that you're going through do you remember just looking at her and seeing her when you were in that paralyzed state
1: I do, absolutely. Um, for the first about 10 days that I was hospitalized, I was very sedated and obviously because I was in a lot of pain. So they were trying yeah. to just keep me sedated and, and asleep as often as possible. Uh, I think it was about 10 days in that I recall being like, where my baby. And then I looked and she was on the bed with me and I was like having flashbacks of her being there with me. And I was like, I didn't, I hadn't even noticed. And I hadn't even looked at her and I felt awful. I felt guilty that I hadn't paid attention to her. Uh, But then as after that, after the 10 days or so, um, the medication was lowered. And so I was much more coherent. And I do remember almost everything from the hospital. And I think in one way, it was it was amazing that my daughter was there with me and she was a huge motivation because I wanted to get back to her one day. But at the same time, it was very difficult because they're placing her on my chest and they're saying come see your mommy and it was very heartbreaking for me to see my family members caring for her and holding her there in, in their arms and she's crying and they're rocking her and they're giving her a bottle and they're changing her diaper so i felt very worthless for a very long time um i spent almost 3 months paralyzed in icu watching her grow up watching her change as you know babies change very quickly in the first oh, three, 3 months is huge Yeah. And, and it was just such a dark time because I just truly didn't believe that I was ever going to get out of there. Uh, and I didn't think that I was ever going to get back to being the mom that I wanted to be. And I just was very angry and very, very depressed, uh, for a very long time, just feeling robbed of my future life. And that I, I, all the things that I had looked forward to in my life, uh, being able to just, do things with my daughter, they were gone and we never got to experience those. We hadn't even barely left our house together.
0: Gosh. And you eventually you know, started to turn the corner. You were able to move your extremities before that, before, cause that's obviously a huge sign of hope. Did you have that outside of your daughter, that glimmer of hope of that, that positive mindset of, you know what, I'm going to push through this. I'm going to get through it.
1: I, a few times um, I had pictures on my wall. And some, I would look stars at stars too. I had stars above my bed that yeah. anytime that anything improved. So even when my heart rate was much more manageable, my blood pressure wasn't skyrocketing. My uh, parents would write it on a star and put it above my bed. So oh, cool. I would look, I would look at the stars and uh, definitely that was okay. You know what? I just have to keep going and I just have to see if I can reach more stars. Um, and then the pictures on my wall, and seeing my life and seeing who I was and and there was so, so many pictures of me and my friends and my family and and not just of my daughter and it was a reminder that you know what I'm so much more than just a mom and I have so much to get back to and I I, I have a life and I I'm me yeah. and I need to get back to my life not only for her but also for me. What was it? Uh, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say that uh, the a huge turning point for me was I, I was fe- feeling so lost and so broken and, and the doctors are saying you're going to get better you're going to get better and then and they're seeing the hopelessness in my eyes and I'm not believing it they're saying you have this very rare illness um, that we've never seen before or some of the doctors had only ever seen a case once or twice and so I felt like I was one of one of 7 billion. No. I felt like I was the only person in the world with the disease. Later, I learned that there was this whole community of people. But at the time, I felt so alone and felt like nobody knew what was going on. And nobody knew how to treat me because they said that I was going to get better, but I wasn't. Uh, so the doctors actually had this idea that they had another GBS patient years before, and he had recovered. And so they brought him in to the hospital to uh, meet me. And right. so he walked into the hospital completely recovered. He crazy enough had actually been in the exact same ICU room that I was in about three years prior. And he was a dad. He had three kids. And at the time of his diagnosis, he had two little girls and they were quite young, like I think six months old. And so he was showing me pictures of him in the hospital and with his baby. And and he's like, "I, I recovered from this. I was where you were and I recovered. And so that was a huge turning point for me because it was like, okay, so I'm not the only one in the world with this. And not only did this guy have it, he also recovered. And he walked into the room looking completely healthy, completely normal, as if he was never here. And that gave me inspiration to keep fighting and keep going.
0: Do you remember that moment where you first moved your, you were able to move your extremities on your own and what was going through your mind?
1: I do. So the first uh, time I was able to move was my fingertip. Um, So it's funny how that's, that was where the first um, sensation started. That was the first symptom. And then that's where it came back. Um, So I was able to just barely move my fingertip. And I'll be honest, my family was ecstatic. The doctors were ecstatic. They said, this is a sign that you're getting better. But for me, it was like, I can't do anything with a fingertip move. (laughs) That that's that to me, that's not a big deal um, but it was it truly was and I learned over time to really celebrate every tiny milestone so I started moving my fingertip and then I could flop my hands and then I could move my wrists and then my neck started moving and I could move my head and uh, just slowly it just started getting better and the paralysis very very slowly started to fade and it was a turning point when I was able to cock my hand against uh, the bottle and feed her yeah and and feed my baby again
0: I think some of the milestones that I saw watching that video, you day 70, and correct me if I'm wrong anyways, you got moved out of ICU. Uh 87 you stood up for the first time. How was that finally getting out of the the bed on your own and standing up?
1: Getting out of ICU uh was was the most important thing. Uh be, just because I was on a ventilator obviously for so long. So like you said it was 70 days before I got off the ventilator. And prior to that, I was struggling to breathe. And and they told me that I actually had to had to be able to breathe for 72 hours before I would get off the ventilator. Yeah. And that was just so scary to me because every moment that I was trying to breathe was such a struggle. And every time that I tried to practice without the ventilator, I would feel like I was never going to be able to do it. Mm. And so I think I lasted 30 seconds, and then like a minute, and then a two minutes. And every time I would be left hyperventilating and crying and going, I'm never going to be able to do this. Uh, But I did get better and slowly over over weeks, I was able to wean off the ventilator. Um, It it took probably two to three weeks before of, of practicing. And once I had done that, that was a turning point as well for me to be able to say that, you know what, I just accomplished something that I felt was impossible. So at the time, I I had told myself, I'm never going to be able to do this. I can't do this. I'm not strong. I can't overcome this. And then I did because I promised myself that I would try right. every day. And I, would, I, I said, I, I'm going to just keep going. And eventually I did. And I got out of ICU. And from that point on, I knew that I could overcome anything. If I can overcome breathing, then I could get through this. So from there, I went through physiotherapy, I learned how to hold things and and drink from a cup and feed myself and brush my hair and brush my teeth and feed my daughter a bottle and eventually I got to, like I said, day 84 where I was able to stand for the first time and I still didn't have a lot of feeling in my body so it was very strange to stand beside that hospital bed but not even feel my legs still at that point yeah. uh, but it was so empowering and it was like you know what if I can do this I just have to keep going and I just have to keep trying and eventually I was moved to a rehab hospital where I kept uh continuing to strengthen my arms and my legs and uh that's where I was uh, learned to walk again and uh, first started with a walker. So I, I got around using a walker for quite a while and then eventually progressed to a cane. Uh, I went home after 126 days in the hospital. At that time, I was still using a walker to get around, um, but I, I was able to go home and, and be with my daughter. And by that point, my daughter would have been almost almost six months old.
0: Yeah. I thought you had her on what, the bumbo chair? <laughs>
1: I did. Those those things are
0: amazing, by the way.
1: Yeah. It was wonderful. That's how we kind of got around the house. Cause I was still quite weak at the time. I wasn't able to pick her up. Um, so that's, yeah, that's how we kind of got around the house was putting her on the bumble chair and then putting her on the seat of my walker. And
0: isn't it crazy how looking back at your journey and everything that you endured, you know, in those days, the little things that we take for granted, brushing our teeth for you, brushing your hair, um, but walking, breathing, eating, drinking, I mean, this is stuff that we just take for granted. Did that change what you value, what you appreciate in life? And, I mean, if so, like how do you catch yourself every now and then just going like, wow, I, I've taken this for granted at one point?
1: 100%. Yeah. Yeah. After, like during recovery, there was still a lot of fear about whether I would recover completely and whether or not I would be able to walk again. Um, with GBS, there are some people that don't recover completely and are left paralyzed. So about 20 to 30% of GBS patients are left using uh, a walker or in a yeah. wheelchair or, or some sort of walking aid. So there was always that fear in the back of my mind that would I recover well enough to be able to walk again? Now I did. And of course, I had this huge gratitude for that. I also spent a lot of time on a spinal cord injury ward where there were a lot of patients that uh, had injuries that they would never walk again. They They were in wheelchairs for the rest of their life. And so for me, knowing that I had that ability to use my body and I had the ability to do physiotherapy and do exercise in ways that they would never be able to do, it just pushed me farther. So I was so grateful that I could be a mom and be at home and take care of her. I mean, I was changing her diaper and I remember crying the first time and thinking like, this is something so simple that people don't even realize that this is such a blessing that I have the coordination in my hands now that I can change a diaper Yeah, and to be able to breathe. And I started physiotherapy um, outpatient as well because I, I was still quite weak and Walking for long distances were hard. Walking up the stairs was still challenging. Struggles with opening jars and keeping my arms up in the air for a long time to to reach out and touch my daughter. And so I knew that my therapy really was on me. And I knew that if I wanted to continue to get stronger, that I, I had to put in the work. And that if I didn't do anything, that I would just kind of stay where, stay where I was. And I knew from overcoming breathing on my own that I was capable of it. I knew that, you know what, we are so much stronger than we realize when we're in these really hard moments in our life, we think that there's no way we can get through them. But then when we do, then it's just we realize just how strong, strong and powerful we really are. And so I stopped setting limitations on myself. I said, you know what, I'm going to get into yoga. I'm going to do the insanity program. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start running. And it was so challenging at first. And whenever I did any kind of new exercise, it was painful and it was hard. But I just said, you know what? I'm just going to keep trying. And I just kept trying. And over time, it got a little bit easier. I got a little bit faster. I got a little bit stronger. And eventually... You're getting at it with that insanity Yeah. Yeah, And eventually I recovered completely. And not only that, I got into the best shape of my life and got into strength training and, and started running all the time.
0: Wow. And how did it, what does it mean to you knowing that when you were in the hospital, one of those signs of hope was somebody that walked through the door who had been through something similar to you. And now you've kind of come full circle with that, where you're actually being that person for others who are going through GBS, what does that mean?
1: Even when I was in ICU, I remember thinking, how do people not know about this disease? It's, yeah. it's so awful that it could just literally change my life in 72 hours and just completely ruin everything and i was just shocked that i had never heard of it before and that no one else had heard of it and i said i need to bring awareness and i remember like i'm heavily medicated and i'm thinking in my head when i get out of here i need to educate people and i need to bring awareness to this awful disorder and so when i recovered i had people coming to me and asking me what it was like to go through gbs and what it was like to be hospitalized And I immediately started writing a book at that time and I I put out my YouTube videos um, of my time in the hospital because I I just wanted to show other people that may be in the hospital or show family members that, you know what, I also felt like I was never going to recover and that's what I believed for a very long time, but I did and here I am stronger than ever. And so I wanted to show other people that. Um, And so I put out my YouTube video, and it ended up going viral. And all of a sudden, I had people from all over the world reaching out to me. There was GBS survivors from 30 years ago that said, "I've never met another person with GBS before," and there was people saying, "I didn't recover completely, but you've given me hope, and I'm going to try. I'm going to get into exercise now because I see you doing it." And people saying, "I have a family member in ICU right now, and we didn't believe that they were going to get better, and we." we had no hope and they had no hope but now seeing your story we do and we're gonna we're gonna keep fighting for them and it changed my life and and like we talked about in the beginning that was that was when I truly found my purpose
0: yeah oh that's super cool how has Casey asked you much about it or does she like because she's at that what 12 now
1: yeah she's almost twelve um, i'm super it's, curious yeah she i mean we've talked about it I've always talked about it since she was yeah. born um so she she's seen the videos she's seen what we've gone, we've gone through she's seen um many many pictures I've explained everything to her. So she, as much as like she, she doesn't remember anything. Obviously, she still, I think, feels so connected to it and feels like yeah. it's such a big part of her life. Um, it's kind of funny because I do have a scar on my neck from where the the tube was in my throat, and she always said, like when she went to to kindergarten, she thought everybody had those little scars, so she was she used to draw people with little little red circles on their neck. Uh, but I'd honestly, I think that it's it's truly. Given this, me this connection with her that I don't yeah. think we would have had had we not gone through it together. She was my guardian angel, and and it was she she brought in so much joy and laughter in ICU yeah. because I mean she's doing all these funny things and she's doing all these cute little new things and she she just made us laugh and she got us through such a difficult time. And if I had gone through that and and wasn't a new mother, I I just don't know if I would have fought as hard to get back to her
0: yeah even hearing y'all do the little tongue thing communicating with each other yes. uh, it's like it, you know now knowing how it turned out it's like oh that's but it, it had to be hard just to to see that and go through it but what what an inspiration for her and then uh what is it like now being a, a fitness trainer
1: it is amazing so I like got into strength training I realized that we are so much stronger than we know right and yes. when a lot of times, people don't push themselves because they the ment it's the mental side. They think that oh, I'm not strong enough to do this, and so I always just said, you know what, I'm just going to keep trying. And then I got into the best shape of my life, and I'm I'm exercising at the gym like four or five, six days a week. And people were coming to me and asking questions, and how did you do this? And I didn't feel educated enough to be able to tell them. And so I ended up getting certified, and uh, started working with clients. and And I ended up actually working with many, many GBS survivors who have come to me now and said, can you train with me? And this was all during COVID. So it was actually, it worked out wonderful because we were able to connect over zoom and I was able oh, to help cool. them out and just help being able to help people, you know, just be stronger when getting up and uh, off the couch yeah. and being able to walk for farther distances. And so, like you said, it's just really come full circle to, to know where I've been and to be able to help other people now.
0: How was that writing a book?
1: Writing a book. So I've been rewriting a book now. That I originally put, uh, put out my my first book, Happily Ever After. Um, it was about one year after I recovered. Just because I really wanted to share with my family and friends what I had gone through. And then, of course, when everything changed and I put out my videos and everything went viral that's when I started realizing that there was this huge community of GBS survivors around the world. And I started connecting with other people. I ended up getting involved with uh, the GBS Foundation here in Canada. There's also one in the US as well. Uh, And we started fundraising and, and meeting people around the world and putting on conferences and going actually into the hospital and visiting patients. So I've gone into many ICUs and and walked in and said, I've been where you have. And I have re- recovered as well. And so it just really just put me on this new path. And so much has happened in the 10 years since that I started rewriting the book, and just doing an update on everything that happened uh, since. And yeah, that that book is gonna come out in in January. And I'm just so excited for everyone to read it and to just see that I could, I went from basically rock bottom from not being able to breathe and not being able to move anything in my body and then to recover from that. And to not only recover, but to turn it into something good and to be where I am today, I think is just a, a really big inspiration, not only to myself, but to other people as well, that yeah. even when you're in the depths of despair and you don't think you can get out of it, there there is always hope.
0: If somebody wants to get a copy of the book, where do they go to?
1: Uh, so it'll be on Amazon, and then as well as my website, which is HollyAfterGBS.com. And uh, feel free to follow me anywhere. I'm on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, and I, I connect with people all over the world.
0: Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely have that in the the notes for this. Uh, What has shifted for you most internally looking back on that whole experience that you went through?
1: I think that just life is so short. Um, In my twenties, I believed that I would never get sick until I was 85. (laughs) That's kind of the, that's, that's the idea, right? Yeah. And so then suddenly I was very, very sick, given this second chance at life. And so it's taught me to really go after my goals and go and do things that I've always wanted to do. I've started traveling much more. Um, I think that there was always all these places that I would have loved to go to, but never did. And now I I try to do that and I try to travel more and, and I'm more adventurous as well. I've done a lot of mountain climbing and zip lining and a lot of fun activities that I don't know if I would have done yeah because of the fear and all of everything but now it's just you know what life's too short
0: we're we're outside of australia where where in north america is like your next place you want to travel to
1: in north america yeah um i've been to quite a few places in the states um let's say even just la would be amazing to go to i've never been
0: la is nice traffic i would (laughs) if you don't like traffic geez we we were at anaheim which is like 20 minutes from it. Yeah. I went and asked at the front desk. I was like, hey, because uh, we were at Disneyland. I said, how how far is it to, to LA? And this was like 2010. I think this was like 2010. And um, they were like, oh, yeah, it's, it's 15, 20 miles up the highway, but it takes you about three hours. And I'm like, that's what I hear. Whatever. <laughs> and we got on the highway. And for the first 10 minutes, I'm just booking it. And I'm like, this is not bad. When I first saw the Hollywood sign, we were <laughs> stuck in traffic. And I was oh like, goodness. oh, there's a Hollywood sign right there. But I, I will say Canada. I went to Canada as a, when I graduated high school. My mom asked me where I wanted to go. She's like, I'll take you anywhere in the States. And I said, all right, we'll go to New York. And I want to go to Canada. Yeah. So I went to Toronto. I fell in love with it. I said, if I ever lived anywhere outside of the US, Toronto would probably be my go-to place because Got I just you. really fell in love with it at the time. But I loved Canada and my wife, I'm like dying to get her back up there.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful country and
0: everybody's uh, so nice.
1: Yeah. Everybody is <laughs> yeah,
0: everybody's so nice there. Um, let me ask you this. What is next for you after the book is released? Like what's the next to do thing on your list?
1: So the book will come out. I'm going to be doing an audio book. That's the immediate uh, near future. Uh, I'm going to, narrate it myself, because I think that um, readers really want to, yeah, they really want to hear it What from my perspective. And then from there, I just want to do a lot more speaking. Um, and just sharing my story and just reminding others um, of always to keep that hope. I also want to get more involved. I am actually now the uh, vice president on the GBS um, board of directors uh, with the foundation. And so just bringing more awareness, doing more raise uh, raising of money and putting on campaigns and awareness events and uh, educating doctors and going into hospitals and going into ICU and See, not only seeing patients, but speaking with medical professionals that deal with these disorders that many of them have never had a case of GBS in their lives. And, and some of them may never have a case in their entire career, but when they do, there's so much that they don't know and that they don't realize. And so mm-hmm. just, just being able to speak with doctors and, and share it from my perspective. I mean, doctors, they study the diseases, but they truly don't know what it's like to go through it. Um, and so I have a very unique perspective to share.
0: Yeah. I usually ask the legacy question at the end, but I'm going to rephrase it for you. So when Casey is sitting down talking to uh, your great grandchildren one day about her mom, what is it you want her to say about you?
1: I would just want her to say that she is living proof that you can go from zero to 100 (laughs) and that you can overcome the most awful things that you, that you think you can't, but you can.
0: Yeah. I I mean, what, what an inspiration. I mean, I I told you before we started recording, I I think that uh, your story in general is exactly why this podcast is a thing to get stories like this out there and have people hear it and, and understand that. I mean, like you said, you can be the lowest of lows, uh, but if you put in that work and that, that fight things always can turn a corner um, absolutely.
1: So. Yeah. And I, tr- I try to really reiterate that because I have met people over the years that they, they don't have that fight in them, but sometimes you just need that, that inspiration from somebody else. And so that's what I, I try to do is just, you know what, you may not have that, but you, you try and find it in other people to get you moving.
0: There is a spark somewhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Gotta be able to find it. Yeah. I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, in the episode description notes, there'll be everything that can get y'all uh, and basically get you a copy of the book. So definitely go check out the book uh, and go support everything that she's talking about. GBS, um, do research on it. I mean, it's something that I started to do research on. And, and like you said, the similarities, to MS, I have a family member who uh, had MS and it's just, it's crazy how much mm-hmm. they all, and everybody knows, most people know about MS, Yeah. Um, which is scary. So yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely take some time, throw it in the Google machine, check it out. Uh, But I want to thank you for taking time to do this.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and giving me a platform to share my story and bring awareness to GBS.
0: Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough. And folks that'll conclude this episode, the shadows podcast. Hey shadows listeners. If you're looking to make some extra income that also impacts people, then you need to look at becoming a certified leadership coach with giant. If you don't already know, Giant has been in the leadership space for over 13 years. I got certified through Giant in 2018 and I've been teaching ever since. Just to give you some context, they used to own and operate the John Maxwell brands. They ran the LeaderCast conferences where Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Malcolm Gladwell, and Simon Sinek, just to name a few, were regular speakers. They have over 500 coaches worldwide, working in over 127 countries, and are being hired by companies like Google, Chick-fil-A, Pfizer, Delta, and more. And yes, you can do this too. I know this might sound intimidating, but Giant will literally give you everything you need to start your own coaching business from scratch. You get hands-on training from top-level coaches to learn the exact methodology and tools that six-figure coaches are using. You get an all-in-one online platform to run your entire coaching business. Even if you want to work 100% remotely, and you'll get to join a thriving community of coaches from all around the world to get started. Giant is hosting a coaching business workshop to help you learn the ins and outs of how to build a successful coaching business. This is both for experienced coaches, consultants, and those who are looking to start coaching and consulting with little to no experience. If you want to hear the really good news, this whole workshop, it's free, 100% free. And you can reserve your spot by going to giant.tv forward slash shadows. Why not give it a shot? What's better than making a positive change in people's lives and making some extra money in the process? Giant launches a new hiring cohort every month. Now, they only have 20 coaching slots available each month. So It's first come, first serve. So go ahead and make sure you reserve your spot. If you're ready to make an impact and get paid doing it, go to giant.tv forward slash shadows, giant.tv
2: forward slash shadows. You know, most people go through life aiming at nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. And they find themselves just feeling stuck in a rut, wondering if this is all there is. And I'm here to tell you, no, it is not. And life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. So check out beyondtherut.com and listen to episodes of other people who are also feeling stuck in a rut, asking themselves the same questions you are around their faith, their family, their fitness, their finances, and just their outlook on future possibility. And there, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired to make your own path and live life beyond the rut so again go the check rut. out beyondtherut.com, beyond where you can find blog posts and podcast beyond episodes as well as some tools to help you design the targets you wish to hit in life in those beyond five f's faith family fitness finances and future possibility because again beyond life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut now go check it out beyond the rut done. it's yours